Hi everyone, my name is Alex Dorosa and I am our family pastor here at New Life and I'm just so excited to be with you so that we can talk about the end of our series that we've been going through all summer called New Galatians Freedom and Fruit. What we're doing is we're checking out a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia. And you see, what Paul would do is he'd go from town to town and he would start up these churches and then he would leave and write letters whenever something was concerning him or he heard about something going on. And and he loved the church in Galatia. He ended up visiting it a few times. And so at one point he heard that there's these certain people that creeped into the church. Kind of like when you're at a party and like that weird friend creeps in that no one invited and you just don't know what to do. They sent this letter to Paul saying, what do we do? How do we, we get rid of uh, this nonsense that's going on? Because you see, the people that creeped in were called the Judaizers. And they were bent on telling everyone that freedom doesn't only come from Jesus and his salvation, his freedom from his death and resurrection. You instead need to get freedom by the works that you do by following all the laws of the Jewish religion to a T, and that is how you truly get freedom. And that wasn't what Jesus came to die for, and that wasn't what Paul preached to the church. And so he's writing this letter because he just couldn't comprehend why they would be thinking this way. In fact, Paul couldn't comprehend why anyone would risk their salvation based on their own works instead of relying on the gracious mercy of Jesus Christ. So he spends the first four chapters of this book talking about that argument. Like, are you kidding me? Stop focusing on yourself and focus on God and what he did. And then he takes the next two chapters, chapters five and six, which we've been going through these last three weeks, and this is our fourth week of it. He talks about how we can live lives in freedom. Now that we're free, what should we do? And how do we live lives that produce good fruit, that don't just help us, but really push forward the kingdom of God? And Pastor Chris started this mini two-chapter series a couple weeks ago. He started by talking about chapter five, two weeks in a row, and he said this, True freedom in Jesus means living for his glory and everyone's good. And then the following week he said, when we let the Holy Spirit fight for us, the result is his fruit in our lives. So both of these, as much as it's about us receiving freedom, it's not really about us at all. It's about living for God and serving other people. And when we do that, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he will produce good fruit in us. And it talks about specifically nine fruit. I'm really hoping I can get all of them real quick right now. So we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of those can be produced in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And then Pastor Barry talked last week our penultimate message, the message right before the ending, and he took the first half of chapter six, and this is what he said, we simply can't go it alone. We weren't made to do this life by ourselves, that God created us to live in this freedom with one another, but ultimately with God. And so our goal isn't just about us, it's about other people. And we're going to dive into more of what that means for us today. But before we jump into Galatians, the last eight verses of Galatians chapter 6, and really the whole book, why don't we pray? Dear God, right now, I pray that you will speak through me. Speak to our hearts. Allow us to be attentive and aware of what you want to say, more than anything else. I pray that we will get out of the way and that we will acknowledge and understand what you are trying to tell us and that that after this we will live differently and more like your son. We pray this 
In Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin Galatians 6, 11. Paul is saying this. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Now, this is important. So a lot of times when people would write letters, they would dictate to someone else. So they would be talking it out, and someone would be writing it, it through, and then they would send it together. And so Paul, at the beginning of this letter, says that he was writing this with the brothers and sisters in the faith. But in this moment, whatever he's about to say is so important that he takes the, the ink, the pen, or whatever it is that they're writing with, the number two pencil, and he takes it and he says, I want to write this right here. So we're supposed to pay attention because it's that important that he's writing it out. So Galatians 6, 12 and 13 says, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. He's summing up what he's talked about already. And he says, they don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. So Paul was saying these Judaizers, that they're just focused on themselves, that they're going around and telling everyone to follow a law that they don't even follow for two reasons. One, so they don't get persecuted or punished for following God because the, the Roman government did not want people believing in Jesus as king, as Lord, and the Jewish people didn't want people giving their lives over to Jesus as well. They didn't believe he was the Savior. So they, didn't, they were scared. But the second reason is, is because they wanted to boast. They wanted to boast that other people were following them, that they had disciples, they had followers. And I think it's kind of weird that they were going around boasting that they got grown people to circumcise themselves. Weird, weird thing to boast about. But as I started to think about it more and more, I realized like we boast about some weird things in our lives as well. I like to think that I'm not a boastful or prideful person, but to our core, sometimes we make decisions only focused on us on me, on how we get ahead. And I'm not, I'm not absent from those decisions. I started to think about this, and, and I remember a time when I was in college. You see, I had always wanted to be a part of a play, but I was too scared to audition for a play or a musical in high school. I just didn't think I would ever make the cut. But in college, I had a little more confidence, and so I decided one day, as I was literally looking at the newspaper, which some of you right now are like, what is that? I was looking through a newspaper, and I saw an ad, an open audition at the Newcastle Playhouse for Pocahontas. Now, I knew I probably wasn't going to get Pocahontas, but I was thinking I'd get maybe a pretty cool if I go and have a good audition, which I had never done before. So I showed up one day and they gave me this, this script and they asked me kind of what role I wanted to audition for. And I was like, John Smith, of course, John Smith. He's like the main dude in the play. So I get in front of the director and all the people that I can't remember everyone that was there, but the director was definitely one of them and other people as I was reading. And they said, just, okay, read your lines. And I was like, all right, I'm doing this. And I was reading for John Smith and I read it, I remember as angry as possible. Why? I don't know. I, I just maybe inflected when I read it that it was angry and that John was supposed to be angry and I felt like I could read angrily pretty well. I don't know. So I did it. I was mad. I was like, oh, you, you, I don't know, whatever he said. And I left and I felt pretty confident. I was like, man, I did a good job. A couple weeks later, I got an email from the director and it said, congratulations, you made the play. And I was like, all right, let's go. And they said, you got the role, or rather, we want to offer you the role of Thundercloud. And I didn't know who that was. And so instead of saying, well, thank you so much for giving me a role. I've never been in a play before. I sent back, how many lines does Thundercloud have? Like that was my first 
thought, how big of a role do I get? Because I feel like I deserve a big role, even though I don't have any experience. And she sent back saying, oh, he's one of the main characters. He has 42 sets of roles. And I went, oh, okay, pretty sweet. So I went and I, I learned these lines and I practiced over and over and over. And we ended up doing 24 shows as Thundercloud. And, and at the end of the play, it was so cool, Pocahontas, John Smith, Chief Powhatan, and then Thundercloud were there at the curtain call. It was pretty neat. And I actually even got a picture to show you so you can kind of visualize what I looked like as Thundercloud. Okay, it's kind of embarrassing, but I got the big wig on. I'm clean shaven. I got maracas because Thundercloud liked music, apparently. And I was menacing. All of my lines were yelling. All of my lines were me angry because I auditioned that way. And so I would spend like... Uh, these couple hours angry and walking around like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. So that was me. That was, that was my character. And I felt pretty good about it. People gave me some pretty good reviews. Even my dad, who showed up to see me, said, I didn't even know who you were till the second half because of the, like, not just the makeup and stuff, but the character you're playing. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Either that or my dad wasn't paying attention. Either way, I, I took it as a compliment for myself. And so I got down with the play, felt pretty good. A couple weeks later, the director messaged me again and said, hey, I'm doing Susical the Musical. I would like you to audition for a part. And I thought, oh, pretty cool. She's reaching out to me. I'm going to get a great part. So I go and I show up. And now here's the thing. I didn't really sing back then. I, I just had started taking singing lessons. And so I kind of had a couple weeks under my belt, but I didn't know how to sing at all. But I was pretty confident. I was thundercloud, mind you. And so I show up, and when I show up, someone from the, the play, uh, Pocahontas, was like, oh, Alex, you're here to audition. Oh, you, you're going to get Cat in the Hat. I know you're going to get the lead role. You'd be awesome at it. And I was like, I'm buying that. I believe it. So I walk in, and I audition. And I audition with this old song that I've been learning in my voice lessons. And it's, it's not a good song to audition to. I was like, up on a mountain, my Lord spoke. Fun is something, fire and smoke. And it's not a very, it's not a, it's not a th thematic, it's not a musical song. Anyway, I thought I did great. I walked away thinking, cat in the hat, I should probably just Google it, like the lines and start learning them now. When she emailed me, the director did email me a couple weeks later, she did offer me a part, but it wasn't for cat in the hat, it was for a character called Vlad. And my response was the same the first time, and I said, how many role lines does Vlad have? I thought, okay, I don't really know Susical the Musical, but maybe this is a pretty cool character. And she messaged back and said, there's one. There's one line in the musical. But we'd love for you to do it, and we'd also love for you to be on the ensemble. And instead of me saying, wow, what an honor. I can't even sing. My audition was like one of those bad auditions from American Idol, which they show when you go, were they serious, or is this like a plant to put in? That was me, and she still offered me a role. But instead, I was mad. I was frustrated. I wanted to be the lead role, and so I messaged back and said, no, thanks. Like, actually, it's a kind of a long drive to have one line. Like, I'll, I'll be okay. I'll do something else some other time. And here's the thing. I never got a message back from her. I never heard from her again. She never offered me a part in, in a musical or play, and I, I never was in a musical or play after that, unless you count the video we just did with Mr. Rogers. That was maybe me kind of humbling myself and coming out of that. But besides that, I had never done anything, and I missed the opportunity being Susical the Musical, which would have been fun because of my own pride, because I wanted to be the star. I wanted people to look at me and know that, wow, Alex is just doing a great job instead of being a part of what everyone else is doing. 
And in that moment, in that time in my life, I didn't realize it, but looking back, I can now say confidently that pride caused some destruction in my life. We've heard the, the statement, maybe you have before, called, that says pride comes before the fall, and it's true. It actually comes from God's word. King Solomon said this, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. You see, pride equals selfishness, and there's no freedom in selfishness. There's no freedom when we're full of pride, when we're focused on ourselves. We don't get to live the life that God has designed us to live because we're wholly focused on ourselves. We're like the world in that way, and we're taken away from how God has designed us to live. So if we want to to think about this, if we want to think about how we can live a life that isn't focused on ourselves but focused on something else, that's bigger than ourselves, all we have to do is look at Jesus. And Paul actually wrote about this to the church in Philippi. He described Jesus and his nature. He said this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus, the Son of God, King of the universe, decided to leave his throne in heaven to sacrifice his life for you and me. He left his throne for you, left his throne for me, so that we can have this opportunity to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. He did that. He showed us the way to live. He humbled himself when he didn't have to, when he didn't need to. No one was forcing him to. He did it because he loves us. And so as we're thinking about what Paul's saying, as we're thinking about our own lives and how we should live, and as we, we desire to live lives full of freedom and that produce fruit, we can understand this, and it's our take-home point, the one point this whole message is about, All praise and glory belongs to God. All of it. All praise, all glory belongs to God. Glory meaning God's supernatural nature, all the amazing things that happen. All of it belongs to God. After all, he's the one that created everything. He's the one that designed this planet. He gave you and me breath and our lungs to live, and he gave us an opportunity to accept him as Lord and Savior because of who he is, because of how amazing he is, so we can lift up our, our praises to him because of how good he is, which is still why it's so confusing and frustrating, probably for him, but for us as well, to look around and see people that only focus on ourselves. For us to make decisions that is all about me, it's all about how do we get ahead. Recently at New Life Students, TJ Spencer, one of our presentation team members, and our presentation team does a great job of speaking and and running games. He shared a quote in his most recent message, and I thought it was phenomenal, and I wanted to share it with you. It's from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. It says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. 
They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud of. As I heard that and let it sink in, I realized just how profound that statement is. Sometimes we kind of mask our decisions by saying, I want to get ahead, I want to be as productive, I want to be as good as I possibly can, but really what we're trying to do is just to be better than other people. We focus on others. And this happens when we're a little kid, when we try to do something cool, and we say, look at me, look at me, and we do something cool. Or when we're in middle school, at least this was true for me, and something bad would happen, and I would just assume that everyone knew, because I just thought all eyes were on me. I had this idea that I was kind of the star of the show. And so I thought everyone was looking at me. And then as an adult, what we're doing is we're looking around and we're comparing ourselves to other people, which Pastor Barry talked about last week and how hurtful that can be to our lives if we're just comparing ourselves to other people. But it comes from this root of pride, of this idea that I want to be the main character. King Solomon talked about this in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. It's chasing the wind because it just, it doesn't lead to what we actually desire in life. It just leads us to us wanting more because if we get ahead of our neighbor, then we want to stay ahead of our neighbor. And whenever they get a little better, we want to get even better. It doesn't lead us to freedom. It doesn't lead us to peace or joy or living the way that God has designed us to live. So it brings up a question. As we go about this life, as we interact with people, what motivates us? What motivates you? Is it to be better than other people around you? Is it simply to be happy? Is it to to get ahead? Is it to have yourself be the star of the show? Sometimes it's hard to maybe articulate, but as I look back on my life and I've made some dumb decisions, a lot of it was because I just assumed that I was a star of the show. You know, sometimes you get mad because you're busy or you're going through a hard time and then someone else asks you for a favor or calls you and you're like, how can they be calling right now when I'm going through this? It's because we think that we're the star of the show. They don't know what's going on, but in our minds, we do. And why do we desire so badly to be the main character in a world that already has a main character? That has always had a main character. From the beginning of time, God is the main character who created everything, who can speak and the seas can rage, and then he can speak again and the seas can calm, where he can raise people from the dead and he can rise himself from the dead. He is the main character. Sometimes we get tricked and we look at God's word and say, oh, it's a book of heroes. It's not really a book of heroes. It's a book of people that fall all the time. And it's about one main hero who throughout everything, throughout all of history, keeps things going. And that same hero has made it a point to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have a relationship with him, so we can live in freedom, so our lives can be beneficial to other people and to his kingdom. And we still trip over ourselves in order to take pride for what we do, to take credit for what happens around us. And so as we look around at the world, as we we see what's going on, I think something that goes in my mind is I get frustrated with the pride. I get so mad at at people that are just doing things for themselves, and I get mad at myself when I fall into those same traps. And so if we are going to live different, if we are going to look different than the world, 
if we want to see change in the world, we must remove our pride and live differently. We look around, we can see celebrities, we can see athletes, we can see politicians, we can see leaders of military armies, we can see people that are taking their own story and putting themselves above everyone else. They're making decisions based on pride all over the world right now. You see people hurting, you see destruction because people think that they know what's better than everyone else. And so if we If we're going to live some way that is going to change the world, it has to be different. We have to look in opposition of what the world looks like. We have to find a better way. And thankfully for us that God shows us a better way, and Paul talked about this to the church in Galatia. He said, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. He's saying it's okay to boast about Jesus because after all, he's done so much for us. It's not just okay. We should boast about Jesus. We should celebrate what he's doing. We should make it not about us. We should be able to accept a supporting role and not just say, hey, I'm really talented and I want everyone to look at me. It's kind of like whenever I didn't get the role in Cat in the Hat, instead of thinking, well, someone must have been better at singing or acting or at doing any of the things that I don't really know how to do. Instead, I thought, man, I should have got that part. It should have been about me. And so what we could do is we could take our eyes off ourselves and say, okay, there's someone that deserves this role better than me. It's God. It's the one that created everything that loves us, that sacrificed himself for us. And so maybe we should take that supporting role and not say, oh man, I wish it was about me, but instead take it with, with gladness, with hearts that are filled with joy, saying, oh man, I get to be a part of this amazing story that's much bigger than myself. That has always been going on. It's kind of like the decision between, do we want to star in our very own iPhone movie that we write, direct, and act in? Or do you want to be a part of the best movie that's ever created as a supporting role? I want to be a part of something greater than myself that has an impact on this planet and then for eternity. An impact that is always going to resound throughout all of heaven. I want to be a part of God's story where lives will change. I don't want to just look at this world and say, man, things are going wrong. I'm just going to complain about it and get mad or frustrated. I want to do something about it. And the way to do that is to live differently, to live like Jesus, to look different than the world, to not be full of pride, but to look like Jesus as he humbled himself and he came on this earth. To not be full of pride, but to be full of the opposite, which is love. In the letter to the church in Corinth, Paul talks about this. He talked about how we can do so many cool things. We can speak in different languages. We can have so much intelligence that we know secret things that God talks about. But then he says, if we don't have love, then what does it really matter? He even says in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give everything, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Without love, honestly, who cares? 
without love, what are people going to see in us? I mean, we live in a world that doesn't understand love, that comes up with new definitions all the time for love. But we know that God is love, and he's defined it for us in his nature. The world doesn't know about it, so we need to show them it in the way that we live. And so Paul goes on to define love. And you might have heard this at a wedding before, but Paul isn't writing it only for just for married couples. It's certainly for married couples, but he's writing it for the church and how do we interact with other people. It says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. It's the opposite of boasting. It's the opposite of what the world says is important, which is about me and getting ahead myself. And so what we got to do is we got to look at this and ask ourselves a serious question. Do we resemble this? Are we patient? Are we kind? When people talk about us, do they talk about us in the same way? Do they see us as being people that aren't irritable or not keeping records of wrongs? And as Paul is talking about this, as we're hearing those words, we know how important it is. When you act or interact with someone that is boastful and proud, it doesn't really matter what else they do. It's hard to be around them. You just want to get away. But then when you interact with someone who loves you so much that they forgive a wrong that you commit, maybe you've done something that's embarrassing or awful. I know I have recently, and I'm sure if you stick around with us long enough, you'll hear all these embarrassing stories. But whenever I do something wrong and embarrassing and someone comes and doesn't make me feel small, but instead forgives me and makes me feel loved and cared for, that's the world of difference. And in those people, I see Jesus because I get to interact with love as it was designed to be shared with people. And so as we love, know that we're not just doing it on our own, but we're doing it for a purpose. We're doing it to show people Jesus. When we truly love people, we show them Jesus. After all, God is love, and so we're showing people who he is. And could you imagine if Christians were defined this way? If collectively weren't, we weren't just defined as people that were closed-minded, but in, instead people would say, you know what, I don't know if I believe in Christians, but Christians are patient and kind, and they're not jealous or boastful or proud, or they're not rude. They don't demand their own way. Can you imagine if they said that about you and me, and they define Christians that way? How much would people be able to view the God of the universe? They'd see his love, and they would see his power, and they would really understand how amazing Jesus is. And through the way that we act, people would come to know him. And they'd start to realize, okay, well, this thing that you believe in has been around for a long time. Something maybe is going on with your God. I mean, you look at history. If you want to know how powerful God is, you can just look at the opposition that was faced against the church, whether the Jewish faith or the Christians. And you see, okay, well, Pharaoh couldn't really do anything about it. He couldn't stomp it out. And then King Xerxes definitely couldn't do that even though he tried, and Alexander the Great couldn't stop it, Nero couldn't stop it, go down the line. People can't stop what God is doing because he's more powerful. He's already conquered the world. So humans can't put an end to it. If we want to understand, is God real? Is this power true? We just look 
How has it survived? It's only survived because of who God is. And so if we want to show people that God, we only have to just love people in the same way that God calls us to love others. Paul would come to the conclusion of his letter saying this. And he's putting the focus, as we're talking about, on God and not on Paul. He says, May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So he ends and he's saying, I'm being ridiculed. I'm being beaten because of Jesus, but it's okay because people are still hearing the good news about Jesus. Sometimes when the the world gets dark and when it gets hard or we're going through something very difficult, we, we don't tend to think about others. We think about ourselves. We don't tend to love people the way that God calls us to do because we're going through something difficult. And right now, collectively, our world is bleak. It is a hard time. But could you imagine what it would look like if Christians right now were known more than ever for their joy during this hard time? It is such a testimony to the world when Christians are filled with joy like Paul was in that moment, even being persecuted, because he knows the hope that he has in Jesus. He knows the freedom that he gets to live in because of Jesus. He, he has fruit being produced in his life because of Jesus. And so when we live the same way, people are going to take notice. When, even when things are hard, we boast about Jesus. Even when things are hard, we, we praise him for all the good things he's given us. People will notice and they'll see that there's something different and desire that same freedom that God has given you and I. So if we want to do that this week, I believe we can do that with this next step. I will boast about God when praise comes my way this week. When I say that, I don't mean that we devalue people's praise. When people compliment you, you don't just turn it away and say, oh, don't, don't think about me, think about God. But I am saying when people bring up good things about us, we point back to the source of all those good things, which is God. When people say, how are you living in such a way that you're filled with joy? Even during this dark time, you say, well, because Jesus has forgiven me. And when people bring up good things about us, let's direct them, let's point them back to Jesus. And we do it through love. And so as we go about this week, if we have a hard time, and we will have a hard time sometimes loving as God loves us, if we have a hard time with that, if, we, if we're struggling with how to love, all we got to do is go back to 1 Corinthians 13, and we got to read it. And I'd encourage you just to put your name in it. And as you do it, pray that God would allow that to be true. When you say, Alex is patient and kind, am I that way? And we pray walking through that. And as we begin to live as God has asked us to live, we're going to produce fruit that just changes the world. We're not going to just be able to sit back and, and see the negative things, but we're going to be a part of the solution to telling people about Jesus with our lives. Because that's ultimately what the world needs. They might think it's riches, it's fame, it's popularity, but what they need, what we all need is Jesus. And that's why he came for us. If you're here today and you're listening to this and you're saying, I I need Jesus too. I've never given my life over to him. I'm telling you today, I would love for you to make that decision for your life to gain that freedom that Jesus offers you. 
If you're in here and you'd like to know how to do that here at New Life, we say it's as simple as A, B, and C. A, meaning admit, we admit that we're sinners. We admit that we're fallen people and that we need a savior, we need help. And B, we believe, we believe that God is the one true God and that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And C, we confess. We confess our need for our Lord, our owner, and our savior, our rescuer from sin and death. So right now we're gonna have this opportunity. We're gonna go to God in prayer. And I'd encourage you, if you want this relationship with God, it's not about, are you good enough? Again, it's not about us. It's about him and what he's done. It's not about, can I do this? It's, it's about, can I accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? Because he's already died for you and he's died for me. So we're gonna pray. And I'd encourage you to say these words out loud or in your heart, but make them your own as we talk to God. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray right now, if anyone is listening to this, that they... if they haven't accepted you as Lord and Savior, that right now they will do so. I pray for anyone that has accepted you as Lord and Savior, that they will be praying alongside me right now, praying for people to come to know you as Lord and Savior so that they can experience true freedom as you've designed our lives to be lived in. Right now, if someone doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, would you please pray with me saying, Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner that I do things against your will. I believe you are the one true God and that Jesus died and rose again for me. Forgive me of my sins. Bring me into your family. Be my Lord, my rescuer from sin and death. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. That was you today. I'd encourage you just to continue seeking after God, continue speaking with him, continue reading his word, because know this, that God is so pleased that there's angels in heaven right now celebrating because of the commitment that you made. And congratulations for just being able to live this life in freedom. As we go out this week into a world of unknowns, to a world where there's difficult things, let's take the focus off of us. Let's put the focus on God. Let's not desire to be the main character. Instead, let's just be part of the story that already has a main character. Let's live in love so that people see Jesus in us. And let's change this world for the goodness and glory of God who deserves all praise. We can do that, not by our own power, but by his power who is willing to to do more than we could ever think or imagine. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. Thank you so much for watching and being with us, and we can't wait to see you soon.